0: Hello team and welcome to episode 413 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with David Dipong. David is a real estate agent based in Southern California who helps high and low income individuals plan for, create and acquire a diverse residential property portfolio that meets their investment and financial freedom goals. The roof over your head plays a huge role in your health and wellness journey, as at the end of the day, we all need somewhere to live. And whether you're going to choose to own your home or not, knowledge is power, and being aware of what's going on and how to navigate a huge goal like owning a property or multiple properties, in fact, is exactly what you're going to gain from today's episode. In this episode, you can expect to learn what's the best way to start your journey to home ownership if you're young or don't have a huge amount of spare income, how your mindset might be the only thing holding you back when it comes to home ownership. Along with what's happening with Airbnb and what you can do if you ever choose a nomadic lifestyle. So, without further ado, David DePong. David DePong, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good, sir. Good. Great to be here. Good to see you. It's great to have you here. I'm excited to dive into today's topic. It is a pretty new one for this podcast. So I'm looking forward to creating the links, diving deep into your world a little bit more. But for those who have not come across yourself before, could you give us a little context about who you are and what it is that you do?
1: So I'm the owner and CEO of my own real estate company. I work with a brokerage called Compass. And basically, Besides the standard slew of real estate professional services, like by selling, investing in properties, I specialize in creating long-term relationships with my clients to show them how to create financial freedom with just a few properties in the easiest way or the way that they have the wherewithal to handle in their own life. So that come 10, 20, 30 years later, they won't have to worry about the rising cost of living or inflation or anything like that, because we've already planned for it in the worst case scenario.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely huge. And what got you into this work in the first place?
1: So I was always interested in numbers and finance. And I looked for an industry that not only would I be able to leverage my time, money, and accomplish the investments that I wanted to do, but also help as many people as possible. And when I was younger, I was a chef and a private chef, so I got to do this for one family or one party or one person at a time and handle the finances and help people and help people celebrate events in their life. But what I found out was there was nothing left afterwards. You just spent, you spent time, you spent money, you spent, and... I mean, it's great to help people with short-term celebrations, but I'd rather help them enjoy the entirety of their life as opposed to just
0: today, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And what did your journey look like in terms of developing the skills that you needed to get into this world where you're not only owning homes, but you are helping other people get to that stage in their lives as well? That's a great question. So I started about eight years ago
1: and from the get-go when you learn how to be a real estate professional you often mentor under somebody who's been in the business for years you learn how to be as successful as they were and so with that mentorship I was able to quickly develop the skills needed and his philosophy was never sell always invest keep your properties leverage your properties and today he's got Over 70 properties. I've got my first one. I'm working on my second one. And every client I've worked with since I started in this industry, I've focused on keeping that mindset of, great, you have one. In a few years, this one will help you buy another one. And if at all possible, you should keep it. Because if you keep it, it will keep filling up with money indefinitely. And it will become a tool you can use for the rest of your life. And if you sell it, You'll pay taxes, and if you don't buy something else, inflation will erase the money you have left within a decade or two. Got you,
0: and you've touched on that just there, and I want to go into the context of today's episode, and recently we had someone come on talking about financial planning and wealth management, and obviously we discussed that, you know, someone's probably some of the biggest problems that people have within their relationships or their personal lives is the fact that they are struggling with money. And another thing that comes to my mind when we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, everything along those lines is shelter as well. So I was thinking that it's an enormous thing for someone's mental health to have their own property, have that sense of safety, stability, and things that all of that type of level of having somewhere that you can call your own and something that's also an investment can create for you. So I'm interested to get your context on why you think home ownership is so important, touching on those reasons I just mentioned there. Great. So the first three things that'll happen when you
1: buy a home are you're going to have a place to live. You're going to know exactly what your monthly cost of living is for the next 30 years or however long your amortized loan is and you're gonna start saving money in it automatically by paying down equity. The peace of mind comes from now having a set number. You can figure out your monthly nut, your monthly budget that you need to spend to live, to survive, and then you can figure out the monthly budget that you need to thrive. And because that won't change, you can now actively start working towards a goal that's specific and measured. It's a number you know that if you hit This is done. It's not an elusive goal that says, well, when I get there, I'll know I'll get there. And then you add that to the ease of real estate, which is it will keep increasing in value whether you do anything or not. Mm -hmm. So if you have one, two, or three properties, you're not a huge landlord. You're not spending a lot of time managing tenants. You're really not putting in a lot of effort. However, due to inflation and basic Increases in the cost of living, you will keep making more money every year. And there will come a time when the rents you can get for your home outweigh the cost of it per month, and it will turn into a passive income source that will take care of you regardless of what any of the markets do later in life. So, because you're working on it from both ends, I need to save, make, and have this much money for my daily life and retirement it eases people's minds saying I'll at least have $500,000 in this property if it never increases in value once in my lifetime, which it will. It obviously will. But when you pay off your home, you have that much money to leverage in case of opportunities, challenges, investments, college funds, retirement accounts. It's money you can do anything you want with.
0: Mm. And is there ever a situation where you might buy a home or an apartment or whatever it might be is going to look like anything to be completely ours, where it loses value. Absolutely. In the short term, real estate
1: isn't the greatest investment. It's only a good investment. However, in the long term, in different states of the U.S., California, Texas, Florida, different places with great weather, good economies, commercially growing neighborhoods, It's one of the best investments you could ever do 10 years or longer. When you buy a property, you can't say, well, I'm definitely going to make money and sell within two to three years. It has to be, I'm going to buy and hold this property. And eventually, it will help me buy another one with half the effort. And that one will help me buy a third one with half the effort. And then when those are paid off, even if all of my other investments, stocks, bonds mutual funds, social security, anything that's going to pay me later in life, it doesn't matter if those are having a bad year or not. Because these three properties are paid off. And because of the general lack of housing in these popular areas, there will be somebody who needs to rent it from me. So that's an income you're never going to lose and will
0: keep increasing as rents do over your lifetime. So you think that owning a home can lead to financial freedom or do you think that you need to own more than one? How many do you feel that you need to own in order to get to that place in your life? I believe that is
1: the most important question anyone needs to ask themselves. I know based on my cost of living that if I own three properties in the neighborhoods I want to buy these properties in, that the funds they will leave me to spend every month after taking care of all the maintenance costs and holding fees of the three properties, that I will be able to live my life by design. I'll be able to travel. I'll be able to do whatever I want. I'll be able to work and consult if I want to. I'll have the options to be free, and options are what equal financial freedom. So you look at a neighborhood worth investing in, in your neighborhood, your city, your state, your county, your geographic area. You look at one that's going to be growing You look at one that people are investing in right now and you say, okay, well, what are the rents right now? How many properties would I need to cover the cost of my home, the cost of my living, food, gas, everything else, and the cost of my ideal retirement? And that's how you get the number. If $5,000 a month after all your properties are taken care of is the number, well, then you can work backwards now. You can say, I need 5000 for me, I need 6000 to cover my three properties, so that's 11000 net, whatever your tax rate is on income in that area. You do the math, and you say, okay, I need to make 15000 a month passive by the time I retire at the age of 60. Great. However many properties that is, that's how many properties you plan to buy. If it's five, it's five. If it's six, it's six. If it's two, it's a very expensive area. <laughs> It's two, but you have a defined number that you can now work towards with your financial advisor and your real estate professional. It makes getting there so much easier than if you just work two jobs and hope you'll have enough money when you get to the age.
0: And do you think there's a specific age in which people should start thinking about these type of things? Because I know if you start speaking to people in their late teens, their early twenties, they can barely cover their expenses today. And we all know that a home is not the cheapest thing in the world as well. So how do we get people to start thinking about essentially getting to a place where they can actually afford to buy? And at what point do we start thinking about that to set ourselves up for the best success? I think there's a fundamental shift that
1: needs to happen in thinking, Mm -hmm. and it's in thinking in all ages, which is there are 0 to 5% down programs for multiple cities, states, counties. I guarantee you can find one in the U.S. I'm sure there are similar programs in countries that your listeners may be in. And when you use those loans to qualify, whether you have to wait six months, a year, two years to qualify because of the assistance you're getting, now you have a total monthly payment. And say you can't spend four grand per month because you're in your early 20s and you just don't make that much money. What you do is you make sure to buy in an area that is growing, an area that it will be safe to at least hold this property for the next 10 years. And you buy in a property that has an extra bedroom or two that you can rent out when you're in your 20s you can sacrifice a few years of not having your own place to live with two roommates except if both of those roommates are paying you a thousand dollars per month for their bedroom now you're only responsible for two thousand and suddenly even though you didn't have enough money at the start through a low down payment or down payment assistance program and roommates You're able to start the wealth wheel in your early to mid 20s instead of waiting to your early to mid 30s. And you have a full decade of appreciation, equity buildup, tax benefits, and everything that property comes with. So you have to think about it. You have to twist your head and say, I can't afford that too. How can I afford that? And then connect with the expert in the field who can help you
0: do that and accomplish that goal. Yeah, I like that shift of thinking. That's really, really valuable. And would you encourage most people who purchase their first homes to live in it as well? Because sometimes people say, go back and live with your parents. And like you said, rent it out to as many people as possible. And then there's others who say, you know, live in it. Others say that it's not going to be as valuable if you live in it. What is your approach when it comes to living in the home that you've just purchased? You should absolutely live in it if the benefit is there.
1: Here, we can get an owner-occupied loan after living in a property for a year and moving out. So if you get a lower down payment and a lower interest rate to buy an owner-occupant loan, which is a lower monthly fee total, you live there for a year, maybe you fix up a few things, you get it to the point where it can rent to roommates to meet your bills, because if you break even on a property, you're still earning equity and appreciation, and then you move on to the next property. So I would absolutely encourage people to buy a property live in it for one to three years buy their next property live it it for one to five years and make each property that you buy a little bit better for your personal needs in case you have to stay there then when you get the number of properties your passive income and financial freedom goal needs you can be sure that those rents will increase over time so they'll adjust for the cost of inflation and the rising cost of living by themselves you won't have to do anything. And you can just pay an extra 10% off a month on each of those homes to pay it off earlier. Or an extra 10, 20, and 30% per month on each of the homes, respectively, so that all of them are paid by the time you're 55 or 60, depending on how much income you're making from your career.
0: Gotcha. So it's really about that long-term thinking, right? And I think that's something that I got the understanding of when it came to wealth management as well. It's not necessarily thinking about what it's going to do for you today. But I mean, the beauty of having a home is that you can live in it today as well. And I think that's a big, big, uh, you know, valuable aspect that maybe we don't consider when we're saving money, for example, we're putting it into, you know, stocks and shares and premium bonds and all these different types of things. The reality of when you Put your money into a home so that you can actually live into live in that as well, which I think is really valuable. But coming back to the balance between renting and buying, you hear a lot of money gurus. I think Ramit Sethi, if that's how you pronounce his surname, speaks a lot about renting over buying. What is your thoughts on people who continue to rent based on the lifestyle that they're living?
1: So I have two thoughts about it, and he's not necessarily wrong or right about his avenue of investing. The great thing about property is just to establish a basis. When you pay off one property, most likely your cost of living is going to drop 50% if you live there. If you pay off two, most likely you're going to break even on both, and it's going to cover most of your cost of living. And if you pay off three, you'll have an extra budget to spend of passive income. So when you think about it like that, if you rent, say, at $2,000 a month, and you own it $3,000 a month, one of them is putting $24,000 a year into somebody else's mortgage or going down the drain. You basically don't have that money anymore. The other one is paying $36,000 a year. That's $12,000 more. You might say, well, that $12,000 a year could be invested somewhere else, but it's also going directly into your home. It's going into your equity and you're getting appreciation. As long as you do the homework with the right professional, somebody who knows the areas that you should be investing in now for the values that it's going to have 10 years from now, you can't beat real estate as an investment. And it's why 75% of high net worth individuals own at least two properties. They know that to have this financial freedom in life you need to diversify your investments. You can absolutely invest in stocks, bonds, company matches, social security, all those other things that you're going to have to put money into from your job. And that's overachieving. Time is your most important resource. And if you buy three properties in your 20s and 30s, you can leave those properties alone and they will eventually pay themselves off. The rest of it is gravy. The rest of it is just additional income and investing. That's going to help you just in case one of the economies hits a hard time. The stock market hits a hard time. Real estate hits a hard time. Another COVID event happens. It's to protect you in the worst case scenarios. So I get it that he doesn't want to pay rent because he can invest that money actively. And he's very smart and very well over the next few years. Maybe he'll get a higher return. But the average person... The bottom 80% of income earners, anywhere, any country of the world, are not going to be able to invest at that high of a level. They're not going to have the time, they're not going to have the knowledge, they're not going to have the skill to actively invest that money at that level. If you buy real estate in the right area, you don't have to do anything. It's the way for the 80%, the bottom 80%, to ensure their financial freedom if they live to 80, 90, 100 years of age. As opposed to the top 20% who might be able to turn 100,000 into a couple million in a few years investing at the highest level in the mm. stock market.
0: Got you. So it's a safer bet, doesn't require as much kind of understanding of an ever-changing market and just something that's maybe stood the test of time as well. So I get you on that front. And in regards to picking the right spot, you've mentioned the location a couple of times now are there anything that we need to be looking out for green flags and red flags when it comes to picking the right location? Because if someone might look in their area and think, ah, this is a great place to live, but it might not be on the up. And there might be, I, you know, I come from the UK and a lot of time you go into London and when you're speaking about renting or buying somewhere, a lot of people say, ah, this place is up and coming. But actually, if you look around, it's not quite there yet. It's like another five to 10 years away from being somewhere that maybe you would actually want to live. It's not, the safety that other places have got so are there any green and red flags that we should be looking for when it comes to picking the location of our property great so some of these are going
1: to be intuitive and some of these are going to be counterintuitive <laughs> i want to start with the last point you just made up and coming areas are up and coming for a reason they're the closest you can live to the nicest area that you can't afford while still being able to purchase at that budget. So when you're looking to invest in a property, besides the basics of when transportation, commercial development, and the city itself is spending money to rehab an area, which are all things you should be looking for, which means companies building railways, companies building shopping centers that are gonna take three to four years to finish. Anytime people are investing in an area, you know the residential real estate in that area is going to go up in value around it over the next 10 years. The next thing is, if you could buy in those more expensive areas, the ones that you would consider nice enough or safe enough for you right now, that would be great. You'll still get a decent return off of those, but you're not going to get as aggressive of a return off of that property as you do from the property that is 5 to 10 years from being exactly where you would want to live Mm. and that's okay that's an ideal investment because you could live there for a year rehab it move out put tenants in it and then 10 years later move back into it if it's become the neighborhood that you want to live in you always have that option now i'll tell you what you will not be able to afford to pay what you paid now 10 years from now in that neighborhood those properties could double in value for all year. Yeah. And then you're going to be starting at a higher property tax, at a higher monthly payment, at maybe a higher interest rate, as we learned with anybody who bought pre-2022 and anybody who has to buy post-2022. So you want to look where it's developing. You want to look where it's getting new transportation and jobs. And you want to look at the areas that are just next to the area that's too expensive now. Because there's going to be a time where the minimum money it costs to buy a home in that neighborhood exceeds everything before it. Because if you can only buy a home for a million or more in the neighborhood next to you, and the minimum is 800000 in the neighborhood you're looking in, pretty soon that number is going to get to a million. Because the minimum you can pay for a property in any given area rarely goes down. It's the luxury and the most expensive properties in each area that have the most variance or the most negotiability because it has the least amount
0: of people bidding over it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm keen to get your idea now on Airbnbs. I was actually watching an Instagram reel this morning and they mentioned that in New York, they're starting to put some real, real hard rules in place about how hosts have to go through this very, very extensive reviewing process they're only able to rent out Airbnbs if they are 30 days or longer they have the they have yeah they have to go through the rigorous testing they have to essentially make sure that they're 30 days or longer And if they are not following these rules, they're subject to a bunch of fines as well. And that's essentially to bring the renting costs down, because apparently the average rent in New York City is currently like five and a half thousand dollars per month as well. So I'm keen to get your understanding on your thoughts on Airbnb as it relates to investments, because a lot of people will think, well, You know, I'm not going to go down the route of renting this on a long-term basis, or even I can make more money by renting this out in Airbnb because of you know a reality that tends to be the case. We can rent these a lot higher. So, what is your thoughts on Airbnb as a whole and these systems that New York is putting in place? There's multiple
1: sides to the issue. California is also putting a lot of those rules in place because of the high density. And what you have to realize about New York and California is they don't produce nearly enough homes to keep up with the growing demand and if demand keeps increasing more than supply keeps increasing prices will naturally go up and it'll eventually create a society where everybody is either high income and own something or low income and barely scraping by to pay their rent so it starts from there as some cities like santa monica are they've banned airbnb you can't do it because they want those homes available for people who are going to rent for at least a year, for families who are going to live there. There are areas of LA and New York where you could buy a property, Airbnb it for three months to different people, you know, two days, three days, four days, and pay your mortgage for the whole year because of how demanding or how luxury those neighborhoods are. And in that area, in those areas, I'm absolutely for it. However, if you're buying in the most affordable neighborhood... In the home that 80% of people are going to have to start with, the starter home, the two to 300, the three to 500, whatever that range is in your city, there does have to be strict regulations. Just like all condo associations here have a minimum 30 day rental policy or th- sometimes three month rental policy because they don't want an endless stream of renters who are going to not take care of the property to funnel in and funnel out as people who have invested their hard-earned money and are going to count on these homes for their retirement sit there and watch their values go up and down due to factors they can't control. So I think that they do need a certain amount of regulation on Airbnb so that the top 10% of wealth, the top 10% of income earners can't just buy everything there and then rent it out to whoever else can afford it. But it's much less useful On the lower end on the most affordable homes that people really wouldn't choose to airbnb anyway you need to keep that section free of short-term rentals so that other people do have the chance to achieve home ownership and invest
0: in their own retirement their own financial freedom their own higher quality of life Mm. and what about homeowners we look at it from the perspective of someone who maybe like you said can pay their mortgage for a year by just renting it out for a few months a year Do you think it's a good opportunity for them to just take advantage of the increase in nomadic living, the increase in people wanting to do staycations and all this different type of stuff? Absolutely. If they did their homework and they bought a property that people do actually
1: want to rent for an exorbitant amount for three days at a (laughs) time and your city doesn't have any rules against it or, again, with the long-term planning mindset. You do the math on exactly how many fees you're going to have to pay every year for the inspections, the permits, everything that you need to Airbnb it. And after that, if it still makes sense based on your net proceeds, your net gains, do it. Do it until they tell you you can't do it anymore. (laughs) This is your investment. Properties are like small businesses for everybody who didn't want to start a small business they're the only thing you have that really is absolutely necessary somebody needs to live there you need to live there in the future there'll be more people born that need to live there Mm. whereas commercial enterprises nobody needs anything you don't need zoom you don't need facebook you don't need all these you can choose to spend more money
0: on them but you will need a roof over your head and in regards to that sub Supply perspective do you think that there's more work to be done in areas like new york and la to build more homes to have places come up or do you think that that's just going to increase the problem you know we're going to increase more homes but there's going to be even more demand and it's just going to continue to continue to get overpopulated do you think that's going to be the reality or do you think building more homes in those areas is a worthwhile solution i do believe building more homes
1: is the solution if only to keep the demand where it is because if you can see that the numbers of builders who are gaining confidence because so many people are locked in at a five percent or below mortgage we may only see 30 percent of the homes be sold and resold over the next five years until interest rates come down we may not see any of those other homes ever hit the market again until rates get close to where they are originally purchased so for the next few years new builders are going to have a really good advantage. The other thing I would say about that is, although we need more homes, the homes that are being built aren't exactly what one would call affordable Mm. to the average person. Even in the affordable areas, you would still need to be among the top earners in your state to be able to buy something in New York or California if you're not from there. It's going to help by buying more Properties, building more properties, and making more affordable properties. However, I believe in the investment still because these are all long term solutions. Just like you need long term plans for your issues, your goals, the cities need long term plans for theirs. And if they're starting to build more homes now, we're still 10 to 20 years out from seeing real meaningful change. In 10 years, you can reevaluate and say, oh, Atlanta's the best place to buy something now, or Austin's the best place to buy something now, or London's the best place to buy something now in a certain area. However, that's not going to happen in the next 10 years, minimum, just because how long it takes to build it. Gotcha. And every year, you can do a review of your goals and say, hey, actually, this property is not really increasing in value as much as it used to be. Let me sell it or exchange it and buy two properties in areas that I know the growth is going to be accelerated. And now you suddenly have the option to change based on long-term things that are happening in other states that might not have even be started now. So it's really an advantage for you to have something in these areas that don't have enough supply because the demand will protect what you paid for it for at least the next 10 years.
0: If that ever changes, sell. Put it all into two more properties that'll do that for you. And what's the best place to keep your ears to the ground on this type of information? You know, there was a, yeah, it was a few years back or maybe even one or two years back where I'm a big listener to the Joe Rogan podcast. I don't know your thoughts on Joe Rogan, but he is basically saying everyone's leaving LA. They're all going to Austin. And from my understanding, there's still a bunch of people living in LA. There seems to be a major homeless problem over there as well, which I've heard a lot about, but it doesn't. <laughs> feel like the place is getting any less populated but i wouldn't know unless you know i did my research so i'm wondering if there's any way of keeping your ear to the ground to get a more accurate idea of how things are changing like are people really moving out and all moving to austin which it sounds like a lot of people are moving to austin but are really people leaving la as much as people are coming into living in la there's a few parts to that question that i want to address
1: i'll start with the la leaving part in Between 2019 to 2021, California gained another 120,000 people that make $1 million or more per year. Gross. A lot of the people that are leaving L.A. are doing so for tax reasons or political reasons. And you can see what happens when people leave L.A. and go to Austin. If you had bought something in Austin five or ten years ago, it would have tripled in value. You can take a look at these patterns and say, hey, look, these are the top three places people are starting to move from New York and LA and buy a property there, knowing that because those people are so comfortable paying much more money than you, those neighborhoods will increase in value astronomically. That's one way to keep your ear to the ground. The second is to have an agent, one specific agent in each state, that aligns with your goals. If you're looking into real estate investing and you want a home in California and you also want a property in Texas for investment or you'd love a home in Texas and California and you want properties for investment in other places, you could have one professional in each of those state cities areas that has a quarterly call with you and says, hey, here's the development that's going on now. Here's what you would need to have to get in money-wise. And here's my estimated payoff timeline. I would never sell, or you're going to have to keep this at least seven years. But after that, we can talk about next steps. And by having a 30-minute call with three different people a few times a year, not a huge time commitment, you can know exactly where you could be investing your money. After that, you take a look at the numbers, you take a look at your finances, your situation, And you just make the best decision for you you come from a place of power and education over a place of procrastination where you're like i'll get to that later or i need to save more money Mm -hmm. those things are undefined how much more money how much later you need to define a
0: number of what you need so that you can actively achieve it gotcha yeah no that makes a lot of sense And now I'm interested to go back to that nomadic living part. I've actually been nomadic living for the last three and a half years now. And I'm interested to see what advice you would have for someone like myself, who is literally in a different country every few months of the year. What would my approach be personally, if you were advising me in terms of what I would do with home ownership if I'm only spending two or three months in a country every single quarter of the year? The basics don't really change. You should still
1: be buying a property in areas, countries, cities that are growing, areas that you don't want to live, but over the next 10 years are going to see a tremendous amount of change in a good direction, even if some of those places are where you might want to live. Again, you don't have to live there, but buying something with an owner-occupant loan makes the returns larger because your payments are less, your monthly costs are less. And barring that, if you have enough money, you don't have to. You could buy something with an investment loan. You just take a bit of a higher rate and terms that aren't as nice. But the the name of the game is holding those. So even if you never live in one of the properties ever, buying them now and giving them each a 20 or 30-year mortgage, in 30 years you will have fully paid off properties that are worth millions, millions that you can actively leverage with equity lines of credit or any other home leveraged tool and because the cost of holding them is next to nothing after they're paid off all of the extra income that they're making can pay for you to live wherever you want Mm -hmm. so you may never live in a property you bought in your entire life but if you have four or five in different cities and countries that you know long term are worth investing in people will always want to go there for the history for the money for the good weather for the vacationing you can't lose because you've diversified in real estate alone. And I assume you'll also do the smart thing and have some other investments. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And when it comes to those international properties, is that something that you also consider and you also consider to be a good idea as well? Because it kind of feels like when you talk about that next property and that next property is all very nationally thinking, is thinking about being in Mm -hmm. the US and having more properties in different states or being in the UK having a place in London or somewhere further out. So what are your thoughts on international investments when it comes to real estate?
1: It comes to ease of management. If you can live in, say, France and have a place in Italy, Spain, and the UK, you could actually travel to each one of them once or twice a year and do a quick maintenance check, make sure any repairs needed get done promptly. If you live in Russia would your first real estate purchase be in the united states probably not but if you work backwards from where you go what you can afford to travel to where you can afford to be you can make educated decisions on which of the neighborhoods is the best possible to invest in and out of those which is it possible for you to facilitate you can see how now we're taking the odds away from the house we're taking the odds away from gambling and we are putting it as like a 70-80% chance you'll succeed in the first five years. And then over the 10-year period, there's no way you'll lose. And by doing that, it's not guesswork anymore. It's this will be a good investment as long as I'm not forced to sell in the short term because of some bad decision that I've made. And your real estate professional, your financial professional, the person who's helping you do this is going to help you with that. Personally, I take a look at the monthly cost of the properties my clients want to buy. I take a look at their incomes and I work backwards to create a worst case scenario and ask them how they're going to deal with it. If one of them loses their job or both of them lose their job is their family they can stay with while they rent it out to somebody so that they can keep the property. These are the things a proper professional looks at with you to make sure that not only is it going to be a great investment during the best times, But the worst case scenario, you can rent it out room by room and
0: keep the property until you get to another good time. And would you say that almost all situations point to keeping that property? That's something I'm getting a lot in your narrative. Otherwise, yeah, that's literally always going to be the case. Almost Never sell. Unless you're going to
1: put every single dollar into that next home and that next home is your quote unquote, forever home, which really doesn't exist anymore in our nomadic society. (laughs) It's a home basically that you're going to own for the 20 years that you have kids that live with you. And if you need all of the money and you're not going to pay an exorbitant amount of taxes when you sell that property, put all of that property into the next property. If you can avoid selling, never sell because it's going to infinitely benefit you more and more every decade you're alive. So much so that any kids and people you leave the properties to when your time here is done are only going to ever have to work half as hard as you did. And their kids might be trust fund babies. They might never have to work as hard as anybody in your previous generations because it's easy to double the amount of properties you have. It's not easy to start and build a property portfolio. Somebody has to do that work. And just like you said... It might be cheaper to rent, but if you rent for your whole life, your kids are going to be the people that have to do that hard work. So who do you want to leave that work to, is the question you ask yourself. What's the cost of waking up in 30 years and not being able to afford a home? Because you're trying to live in a neighborhood that doesn't match your income.
0: Yeah, that's a very, very good point. And in terms of once you've got your first home, you've already ticked that box, maybe you're living in it, and you're starting to look at another property. Would you encourage people to also look at commercial properties as well? Can you ever see that being as advantageous as owning a traditional home?
1: I don't think so, and I might be a little biased as a mostly residential real estate professional. Mm -hmm. However, you can see with commercial properties right now that there's an excess of them. And with the remote work movement, they're really not necessary as much as they used to be. No, as people found out, they didn't lose productivity by not having to be in the office. I would be very careful about investing in commercial real estate unless it's a growing industry like self storage or something that people who now have more income are going to be using to store all of the things that they don't want in their. <laughs> you know, there has to be a need for the commercial real estate that you're buying, not just a shopping center. Because what if everybody leaves the shop? You have to have done your research, just like you have done your research with buying a home. And on the other point, because of population growth and because we don't build enough homes and because of the barrier to entry of home ownership, the demand for homes will always be there. Mm. Short of uh, you investing in a place that's polluted soil or some crazy event happens and people can't live there anymore prices increase in a radius of time to nice things so everything within 30 minutes of a nice area driving biking training is more expensive and then when that area becomes more expensive everything within an hour commute of that area becomes worse it's a relationship of time to
0: the nice thing yeah that makes a lot of sense and i'm wondering at what point does someone approach someone like yourself maybe they're listening today and they're thinking, I like the idea of home ownership. I've not bought my first home yet. What point do they come to you? And what point do you feel that people are ready to start looking into that?
1: As early as possible after they've established a credit score. Okay. If you're 18, you should have a credit card. You should start establishing a credit score and good credit habits. Because if you're going to buy something, at least in the United States, your credit score is often one of the most important things about you. Even when you're renting now, people want... Great credit scores, no evictions, good spending habits. So if you're 21 and you've got credit and it's good, start planning for that first home purchase at 23, 24, 25. You get that first property with some assistance programs. And it doesn't matter if you're not going to make your ideal income for the next five years. You figure out how to rent out those rooms, how to get roommates, how to make your bills while living there. You could invest in more traditional assets for the next 10 years. You could match your company's 401k. You could buy stocks. You can diversify. And you're still guaranteed in 10 years, in five years, however good your neighborhood does, that that property has saved up enough equity that it'll cover the down payment on your next one. And presumably, you've kept doing basic maintenance. The rents have kept increasing for that first property. Now you didn't have to come out of pocket for the second one at all. And 10 years after that, those two properties are now full of more equity. Well, guess what? You could buy a third and fourth one, or you could buy a third one and you can save the equity in the first one for emergencies. Yeah. Now you have options. And the thing I want to share with every audience, the thing I'm so passionate about, why I keep volunteering my time on these podcasts is options is freedom. And freedom is a high quality of life. If you ever look at somebody who's renting, suddenly becomes disabled or unable to work, and or is older, and you ask them how stressed they are, or how many options they feel they have to live the life they want, they're going to tell you none. They're going to tell you that the system is rigged. They're going to tell you that there's no way for them to get out of their predicament. And that's a limited life. That's a true low quality of life. And I honestly, at that point, it's hard to help them. Yeah. If you start early and you overachieve, great. <laughs> you can get everything you ever wanted. But if you wait too long and it doesn't happen for you, there's almost nothing anyone can do to help you. Which I don't mean to sound scary, but that's just how our society is set up. Once you become homeless... The road to buying homes and building that wealth for the future is almost impossible. But if you start in your 20s, you have so much time, your most limited resource, time to leverage these things into retirement by the time you're 55 or 60. If you start in your 30s, you're going to have to take some bigger steps every day, but you could still get there by the time you're 60. If you start in your 40s, I mean, you might not be able to retire when you want, or you might be building wealth purely so that your family can benefit in the next generation. But there's the most important message is to start as early as possible, because you can do anything with enough time.
0: And I can imagine a big part of this that holds people back is their mindset. Maybe they've come from a generation of people, you know, family members who have never owned homes. They don't have any close relation that actually owns a home everyone's renting everyone's struggling to pay their rent maybe even they're getting support from the government and all these different types of things how do people break that mindset and perhaps be the first people person i should say in their generation to own their home for a first time honestly
1: the best way is to form a relationship with somebody who can hold you accountable so if you're getting assistance right now and you want to form your a relationship with a financial advisor and with a real estate professional, they can work backwards with you and say, okay, if you were ever going to buy, it's going to be at least this much. And your monthly payment's going to be about this much. And then they can take a look at the financial situation of the family in particular and say, okay, how much do you spend this month? How much do you make each month? What is your What do your finances look like right now? And if you have a decade, five years, three years, depending on how many working adults are in the family you can say okay if you save a hundred dollars a month if we cut back this spent we can make a plan to get there the thing you sacrifice is time people with more money don't have to sacrifice time they can just get out there and buy their first property people without money have to trade time for the resources that they lack so you can make that plan And then there will be government assistance programs meant to help you buy as well. And then 10 years after you buy that first property, regardless of how many years it took you to prepare, you're in the same position as anyone else who bought. You have a property, it's got money inside of it that you can use to buy a second property, and you're no longer stuck in that paycheck to paycheck lifestyle in case anything goes wrong. Because the worst case scenario, you lose your job somebody could come pay for that mortgage somebody can rent that space somebody can help you
0: still build your wealth and i'm interested now to get an idea of developing a relationship with a real estate agent or someone who's in that world who knows exactly what they're talking about are there any red flags that we should be looking out for when we are picking a real estate agent is it a fairly trustworthy industry or would you say that there is pros and cons to it That's a
1: mixed bag. A lot of people during some of the recessions over the last 20 years have had, we'll call it a less than ideal experience with a real estate professional or a financial professional. And what I say to that is, and why I address it up front is, it's the same as any industry. You're going to have good doctors. You're going to have bad doctors. You're going to have sketchy doctors. You're going to have good lawyers, bad lawyers, sketchy lawyers. You're accountability in this and your due diligence has to be let me look up a couple agents in my area oh look i see david david's been on podcasts he's got his own website he's done all these sales and his mission is to help people build wealth those are my goals too i should go interview david i should go ask him all the questions i ever want i should see if we'd be a good fit so that we can commit to working with somebody and start building trust If you get there and you find somebody who's not me or you find somebody whose advertising looked nice, but when you start to really dial in and ask them questions about how they would help you achieve something and where they would recommend you invest and what you need from them to get the job done and they don't have clear, concise answers like a professional in an industry should, don't work with them. (laughs) Check their license. Make sure they've been in business more than one or two years. Check that they've actually done sales and purchases of properties in the past. You have to do this basic research up front so that you know the person you're trusting with the largest investments of your life is a qualified professional and not just somebody who holds a license and is able to do the thing that you want them to do. After you trust them and they get you good results, you never have to look for another one again. If you start working with somebody and they disappoint you, move on. Fire, say, hey, I'm write them an email. Hey, I'm not going to work with you anymore. And then move on to another person. You only need one. And the more you trust them, the easier it's going to be. So do your diligence when you're interviewing them, just like you would for anyone. For a contractor who's going to work on your house. For a lawyer who's going to represent you during a case. When you're looking for your primary physician. These systems in your life take a little bit longer to set up in the beginning. However, if you set them up over the next few years, they all take very little effort to maintain.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And David, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to wrap up with a final couple of questions. And the first is, what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you're doing? If nothing else, I want a large
1: uptick in the amount of people who are financially free or who have a high quality of life. The reason I got started into spreading the word instead of just doing my job for my clients is because every year I get calls from newly homeless people, new people that need rental subsidies, new people that need help to be able to afford their current cost of living. And there's almost nothing I can do for them besides point them to the government and say, get in line, wait in this two-year line, and then you might eventually get some of the help that you need. Mm -hmm. And a system that's built that way really doesn't care if you succeed or not. I mean, it's helping, but it's more like emergency triage. It's really not investing in you. Yeah. So I hope to at least create a meaningful change in the people that Want to engage me if one person engages me from this episode and I help them get to a point where they buy their first property in the next few years, even if they never work with me again, I know they're going to be in a better place for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And so, every one of these episodes that I do is worth it.
0: I like that a lot. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing?
1: My website is depongrealestate.com, just one word pushed together. It has all of my contact info. It's where you can sign up to get my monthly email. A lot of the curated content goes out about Southern California because that's where I work. However, if you're not in my area and you want to learn how to start in your area, you can reach out. We can schedule a time to sit down, FaceTime, Zoom. We can analyze the neighborhoods that you're in. And I can refer you to somebody in your area that aligns with these goals. So then at the very least, you have a starter kit of, hey, here's what I can do to better my life or to achieve my goals. And then it's just up to you. You have all the tools. You can get started as soon as you want. And you have to make that choice if that's what you want to achieve.
0: Amazing. David, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for your time today.